everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in 5 podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. I am a Chicago-based 33-year-old entrepreneur, author, pop culture commentator, Taylor Swift super fan, and person who gets on here way too much and talks to you about Taylor Swift way too much because I didn't see this coming. I, I never have seen any of it coming. I don't know if I would have spent two and a half hours talking to you about the Long Pond sessions had I known we'd be getting another studio album, but alas, here we are. I decided this week for a bonus episode. If you'll give me a little bit of, you know, latitude here uh, to not do this perfectly. I have a series of incredibly chaotic notes about this album. I My thoughts are bouncing around so intensely. I, I don't know where to begin. And with my Taylor Swift recaps, I feel like people often be like, LOL, you did the intro in like the second hour. And I'm like, I know. I just always have so much to say up front. And instead of overstructuring it. Like, you know, here we are. We're going to meander through some different thoughts I have about the surprise factor of the album, the signs we missed, the songs and lyrics themselves, of course, some, you know, TikTok behavior I find unconscionable related to the album. I want to talk about uh, the difference between this and folklore, uh, where I see this kind of sitting strategically. Um, I want to talk about the aesthetic. My God, I, I, I am, I'm convinced we have, we have one foot out of cottagecore and one foot into dark academia, into witchy uh, literary queen. And um, I'll get into that a little bit later, if we have time. I think the thing is to you know, I did the Can't Hurry Lover recap, which was reviewing Lover four months after it came out, because I felt like I couldn't rush that album. And that's perhaps the most straightforward album ever, uh, comparatively. I, I need time uh, to sit with her music. I need it to aerate, if I'm honest. And I struggle sometimes with the quick recaps because I feel like it's not an adequate representation of how I'll ultimately feel about something. I don't want to speak ill of something that I'll grow into. Um, all the usual suspects as it relates to my nerves recapping a uh, work of art that I need to get used to. But this is kind of an added extra layer because what I think happened here is we got folklore July 23rd out of nowhere. What a thrill. What a life. Um, if you want to see my reaction videos for either album, go to patreon.com slash be there in five. I fortunately for you have a mental breakdown in both. Um, Folklore was such a surprise. It was such a departure. Um, she says, I was, you know, nervous to step out and take the risk, but it, it, it felt less like a departure and more like I was re returning home. And I think as listeners, we all concurred that there was something so um, pure and uh, necessary and back to her roots that folklore brought us not only lyrically, melodically, um, and thematically, but I also thought it was a really beautiful and important step she took in the right direction that I know she's wanted to go into for so long, where she tests 
uh, her character work, essentially. She tests out her audience being receptive, essentially, to fiction. Musical genres aren't the same as books, obviously, but it is a pretty big shift to not only uh, shift musical genres, but also narrative genres, right? And she's built this career upon our intense investment in almost being overly prescriptive to how her lyrics uh, can be mapped back to her personal life because that's kind of the way she's always let us in. But even she got to a level of, of fame and scrutiny that I don't even think that was manageable anymore. And beyond that, when you're older and your relationships are more sacred, it's just not on the table anymore. It's just not even a question. Do I want to protect this? Do I want to guard this? It's like, this isn't tabloid fodder. This isn't, uh, you know, somebody else's gossip story. Like, this is my life. This is my partner. And I'm not, you know, going to mess this one up. And I think once that clicked for me, I, I was able to let go of the sport, I guess, because I really enjoyed the personal narrative piece so much the sleuthing piece so much the who is it about i mean rep was like a blast because we had no information but a prologue that said you have no idea what i do who i'm with <laughs> and we're like damn um but the thing is like i think for her biggest fans myself included i i, I like regardless of what she did i don't i don't really see a situation where i'm not excited thrilled on board buying you know i will death cap for cutie follow her into the dark i don't care if she wants to join a zydeco band she could get into pirate metal for all i care i don't know i'd put on an eye patch i'd, I'd walk the plank space i'd make it work I, my point is i'd be on board i am at a point in my fandom where i even if something is not my exact cup of tea i respect and understand her talent and brilliance enough to know that it is objectively going to be good and that any disdain I have is more of a function of where I'm coming from or my, or my personal preferences, right? I think that's part of what I'm up against, too, with these albums is I really like them. But it's kind of like wedding dress shopping where I was I when I wedding dress shopped, I laughed. I'm like, I'm supposed to find my dream dress in a category of dresses I would never shop in, you know, clingy, white, lace you know, sleeveless, deep feet, like everything about the silhouettes, fabrics and style and not to mention washout color of wedding dresses literally does nothing for me. And I tried on like 90 plus, it was kind of a funny experience where people tell you you're going to look the most beautiful you've ever looked, but then you'd never really put yourself in the position of, but I don't feel beautiful in white, in gowns. And you know what I mean? Um, this is different though. I guess my point is like, I, I am a diehard pop music fan. I do not have refined taste. I listen to a lot of top 40 music, a lot of music from the years, specifically 2004 and 2006, a lot of 90s alt rock, um, and a lot of my, you know, main character, slow basic, some indie stuff that you heard on like Destiny's Inner Child a couple weeks ago, for example. But I actually, I don't listen to The National. I don't really listen to a lot of Bonnie Bear. So it's an interesting thing for me too, where... Um, I respect and I'm enjoying this departure, but as a person, this isn't the type of music I want to sit with all the time. So I'm actually kind of enjoying finding my way in the fandom in this era because I love acoustic Taylor. I love 
for, for, I care mostly about lyrics, right? But like, I, I do need some bangers. Like I, I, I need some upbeat music. I need to feel hopeful at this time in my life. Like, I think the other piece I'm struggling with is in July, I was just really in that down and out quarantine headspace where I wanted to wallow. But now, even if it's not like going to be over soon, I still want somebody to lie to me. That's how badly I need to feel like we'll be happy and joyful and together and sharing memories again. And I just am not as in my feelings right now. So I think I'm processing this album a little bit slower um, as a result. Guys, I have so many chaotic notes, like big new moon energy. I'm again, I guess I'm talking about Twilight because why wouldn't I? Uh, but to be fair, yes, kind of it does. Uh, maybe it's because it was the the sobbing I was doing in between my knees that uh, tipped me off to Bella Swan's uh, licky light possibility moment. Um, I have down lots of highs and two belows. Wow, that's a clever one, Kate. That's uh, that's what two and a half glasses of wine will get you. I should charge for that. What the hell is this? Taylor explains that the album is about lost love and is sad, beautiful, tragic. And I say it's about imaginary and not imaginary tales, as well as dreamscapes and tragedies and epic tales of love lost and found. Then I say, LOL, remember the lost and found. <laughs> People ask me if I outline or plan pocket. Like, that's the shit I write that I'm, I'm supposed to work off of that. I think I wrote that at like two in the morning. I think what I, I had a moment where in my head I was entertained thinking of like being at you know, you forget your play clothes at some childhood function, whether you're like a DZ Discovery Zone or the pool or something, and you're stuck wearing a stray pair of like green umbros with a faded logo, maybe like a weird shirt somebody has from their trip out west that says like Wild Earth and has wolves howling at the moon. You know, do you remember those Wild Earth shirts? I don't know. And there's always like a slightly off-brand shoe that I would have been excited to score normally, but it's like more for performance than function, like a Mizuno or something. And, uh, I was thinking about this the other night and I was like, as a writer and like somebody who's constantly writing, I was kind of thinking of Taylor Swift's like catalog in a lost and found sense. And I was like, the, like the lost and found of my career is like an interesting concept because so much stuff doesn't pan out and I write so many things that never see the light of day. And I was almost wondering if, yeah, there there's a kind of like a broader theme there of some of, especially the narratives that came in the back half that were just regurgitating a lot of the same themes from 2016, which I found shocking given the separation we were trying to attain uh, from personal narratives. Um, I was kind of like, were these songs that didn't work on other albums that you're kind of trying to uh, fill this with? Or were these all originals? I, I, I was very interested in that because I just don't understand how like long story short would have been written written this year. You know what I mean? But yeah, it felt like Coney Island and Closure. They, they, those felt very autobiographical from eras that are long gone. And no, it's long gone and the magic's not here no more. But that's okay. It's out in the forest with your literary witch troupe. Um, I'm trying to see if I have any other notes that make sense because I just probably will get into the songs. Or do we get into the theories? Hmm. This is tricky. I will say one of my critiques of Evermore is that she... This to me sounded... There were times where she sounded more like she was adopting the style of the people she was collaborating with than her style was a compliment to it. Does that make sense? I, I We got really into, what would you classify it as, like indie alt 
rock. I, I sound so ridiculous. Uh, I've spoken like a true indie alt rock fan, whatever that means. Uh, I like Norman fucking Rockwell by Lana Del Rey. Does that count? I think my other critique would be like, well, you know, with the chicks on Soon You'll Get Better, with Haim on um, Murder at Olive Garden. Uh, I just, I, I, I would love to hear more of their voices. The collaborations are so subtle, and maybe that's the point. And again, it is so reductive and nonsensical for me to critique anything uh, musically where she is an expert and I am but a pedestrian. Um, but just, you know, being honest about the things that I, as a pedestrian, don't always understand, like why this is two separate albums that allegedly have two separate, you know, DNA sets. But I, yeah, I guess for me, just it really depends if this is where we stay. Or if this is a long layover in indie alt rock, you know what I mean? I totally get wanting to have almost like a set that you get out while you're in the genre, you experiment, you kind of maximize it, and then maybe you move on. Um, but if we're staying here, I don't, yeah, there, there's a re there's gotta be a reason why she cranked out these two albums, whether it's in relation to a third, whether it's a certain minimum she has to meet with her label, um, who, who knows? But honestly, I'm grateful for the pivot. I think that, you know, one of the things I really like about Taylor Swift, and I know this sounds weird, but there's a lot of people whose work and way of working and approach I find intimidating or makes me envious or feel inadequate. There's a myriad of different ways a person can make me feel when I'm not at my best. But something about Taylor Swift's music without fail makes me believe, if only for a moment, that like I'm more interesting than I am. I'm more capable than I am. I feel like her unapologetic level of depth she's willing to go into with perfect strangers, her commitment to the creative process, her uh, acknowledgement and honoring of passing emotions as milestones uh, of sorts that are immortalized in song. It makes a deeply emotional person like myself feel genuinely understood. And I think that even when I'm sometimes more averse to the sound of an album or I want something a little bit more poppy or in alignment with maybe what I need as a contrast to like pick me up. I realize that it's equally as important to honor my state of being wherever I am. And I don't need to rely on the media, on the art as a crutch to pull me out of the thing, but maybe I can better process the thing uh, through the absorption of something that more, you know, adequately matches my mood. And I think that once I started like really listening and getting into the groove, I was pretty swept away by several of the songs. And again, my complaint would be I had trouble navigating my way between, it's almost like empathy fatigue or something. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, uh, it, it, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so the main barriers I feel like I'm up against are a general lower level of interest in this genre as a whole, even though I still love the songs. Um, difficulty with a listening in one sitting just because of the uh, heaviness and density and the uh, kind of narrative intricacies of each individual plot line that envelop you because they're so brilliantly written. Uh, but similarly, they make it hard to get out of and to move seamlessly into the next uh, song. And then lastly, just my general, I think, headspace of wanting something a little bit more positive. Those would be my like, three uh, areas of, uh, you know, qualifications, I guess I want to make up front because obviously she's brilliant. Obviously this is, uh, well, actually 
the, I think the important thing with art is we have to remember nothing is objectively good or bad. Like everything is a result of our personal preferences and we can't uh, put it on the creator to modify everything to meet our exact individualized tastes when they're making something for the masses. And I think it's up to us as fans to give it our best shot and, and make it work even when we aren't totally feeling it and be totally fine omitting ourselves from the things we don't like without having to like raise hell and be annoying about it because one person's I don't know like what if what if one person's all too well is another person stay 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 I can't I can't listen to stay 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 <laughs> uh but upon first listen I was like I'm not gonna lie I was so bummed out I I, I felt like irrevocably sad and it's interesting because a lot of people have found this album a little bit happier but I do not at all but that's okay. Happy does not equal good. Feelings do not equal bad. The mark of a successful album is one that makes you emote and express and feel and absorb it in a way that actually means something to you. And I just, yeah, I don't want people to confuse my saying it's sad and depressing with me thinking those are bad things. They're just things you have to be mentally prepared to endure, right? And a lot of music is so brilliant in that it can tap into that uh, depth we have and help us heal. And when I was listening to the album, it was like, uh, it, it was like uh, playing hopscotch between like death, despair, infidelity, uh, holly jolly Christmas. Oh, no, now we're back to being gaslit by a narcissist. And then we're going to participate in a casual homicide. Bring Olive Garden into it while we're at it. Then we're going to say things like, I, I made you my temple, my mural, my sky. Now I'm begging for footnotes in the story of your life. I mean, okay, back to my point earlier about needing to almost build up listener or sorry, audience uh, stamina to it not being a prescriptive uh, thing you can map back to her personal life. Or maybe a better term to use is, uh, let's call it cottage core strength um, <laughs> instead of stamina. But before we had any stamina built up to these songs not being about her and her life, I, I truly, I, I think about us in like the lover era, for example. Think about walking into that album, playing track two. Let's say it's Champagne Problems. We have no context. She's not taken any sort of different approach with um, you know, guiding us to be less prescriptive in how we discuss the subjects of her lyrics. And we get to the line, she would have made such a lovely bride. What a shame she's fucked in the head. <laughs> like, for some reason, all I can picture is myself stop dropping and rolling. Like, am I spontaneously combusting? I don't know. But like, I would have just been like, what? I, I would have scoured the internet. I would have rung the alarm. I, I would have, we, we would have been like, who is this about? What is happening? Is she okay? And the fact that we have this distance now is like actually quite an accomplishment for her because it's not always a winning, you know, in, in, it's not always an easy battle to be like, hey, could you be a little less interested in my life that I got you interested in, in the first place? You know, it's it's a tricky thing to navigate. And she did a brilliant job with folklore as a, as a bridge. The other thing I've been hearing a lot about Evermore is she calls it a sister album. Uh, and it's so incredibly reductive to say things like this. And I am not a music expert and I don't want to seem like I'm speaking out of turn. But to me, it it is kind of, it's it's similar enough where it feels like an A side and a B side. And it's like cool that the B side's like a little deeper and darker. But she decided to not actually make them the same album and to make them two two separate titles, two separate albums 
theoretically considered to be two separate eras. And I guess I'm a little bit confused about, even though I find Evermore to be different, does it have enough of its DNA, its own DNA to stand on its own? And what was that decision about? I feel like there's something here with like the label, uh, because we're cranking out albums. And there's a rumor that it's part of a trilogy. And in, what, 20 weeks, um, or I guess now 19 uh, that she'll be debuting the third piece. And there's a few reasons why people think that one being that in the cowboy like me video, there is a clock that says four 30, April 30th. It's a Friday, great release day. And it is exactly 20 weeks from December 11th when evermore came out. And then July 23rd was exactly 20 weeks, 140 days from uh, it was folklore to the span from folklore to evermore. So, that date that's in, you know, maybe in an Easter egg would line up with the previous pattern, kind of making this equilateral triangle of a situation. Um, and beyond that, in the long pond sessions, there's this clip where Taylor starts to talk about James, Betty, and Inez, accidentally calls them a trilogy, then backtracks to calling them um, a trinity. And I'm not explaining it well, but if you watch the clip, uh, Jack Antonoff is trying so hard not to laugh and she's kind of giving him like a those eyes like we understand each other right like pretend like it didn't happen and um, I feel like they're trying really hard not to laugh that she said trilogy because it is a trilogy and I know it seems insane especially now and I know there's like a lot of focus on this third album and we need to first enjoy and appreciate the second right I'm not as worried about the third. Now I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to clear my schedule. I'd, I'd actually like a kind of a heads up. Uh, but the, and then the, the whole third album piece is its own craziness in and of itself because there was a rumor it was going to be called Woodvale because it she has these um, alternate covers for folklore. I think they were the vinyl covers with different names. And there was one called Hide and Seek. And in the trees, spelled in the same font and everything, and in white, and it was barely legible, was the word Woodvale. And people were like, what's Woodvale? Is it, what is, this? is it in the lakes? Is it some magical, mystical, made-up location? Is it in the woods? What are we doing here? And I was totally on board, too, assuming that. Why? I mean, it seemed like an obvious Easter egg. She goes on Jimmy Kimmel and basically is like, it was a mistake. I was doing a mock-up. I picked a random word. Um... And forgot to take it off. This is confusing for two reasons. One, she doesn't mess up. Two, Woodville isn't a random word. It actually is a street that I'm pretty sure Joe Allen grew up on. Actually, I kind of know he did, but I I didn't want to say that on like TikTok and Instagram because I don't want to, I don't know. I feel weird drawing attention to like addresses and I don't think they live there anymore. I guess it's no weirder than Taylor Swift singing about Cornelia Street. But it is a very sentimental place to Joe. Um, one, I was trying to figure out what Woodvale was. I was like, okay, where's Joe from? I revisit London boy. She says, um, it took me back to hi, Kate. <laughs> hi, Kate. <laughs> hi. Um, took me back to Highgate. met all of his best mates. Right. Yeah. So I was like, okay, yeah. Went back to Highgate where his mates are. That's where he's from. If you look up Woodvale and Highgate, like cutting right through the middle of the town is a street called Woodvale. But the thing is, it's two words. So once I updated my Google search inquiry to include that space, I was getting a lot better results. And I was actually able to track down that the, the there's a Woodvale street address that is attached to a uh, recent, very recently dissolved 
production company that Joe Owen owns and filed for. Wood that is what that is what Woodvale is. Woodvale is the street where he was a resident at some point during their relationship that is obviously very special to them. Could it be called Woodvale? Sure. I don't know if that origin is strong enough for an entire album title name. Um and I kind of do believe her that with the quarantine of it all, like there wasn't as much oversight and uh, you know, she was like doing it herself. I that could easily happen. My point was kind of like don't lose hope. I think her, I think she went on and denied it. She never said there wasn't a third album. She said that Woodvale was an accident. And I believe that. But Woodvale is not random. And I do want to clarify that that is not true. But not that she has to specify that, but she always plays it coy. And you kind of have to just decide when you want to listen to her or not, because she'll say things like in the Lover era, nobody's guessed the album name, album title yet. But Lover was like, in huge letters in the me video and we all guessed it so she's smart and she's not going to give things away and she always wants to throw people off their course i feel like people get really um riled up and like let down when you know things get proven or disproven but honestly she never confirms or denies anything we just kind of have to wait to see if it happens i mean for example leading up to the album what did we miss we missed uh, her tweeting nine christmas trees uh thanking the los angeles times for um a good review they gave uh folklore and then she responded back to another tweet literally saying in all caps this outfit really screams tis the damn season and we were like that's cool that's a normal thing to say and then she responds to rolling stone and tweeting cries in cottage course screams and soft lullabies throw self to the base of a willow tree by a reflection pool at midnight like what um and then she also repeated her selfie from april that we knew was the day she started folklore that said not going on not a lot going on at the moment she did that again on i think november 22nd and we were like oh my god the long pond sessions like i thought i had i thought i was a genius um but Long Pond was a long con, you guys. It was it, it was great, but it, that's not what the promo, you know promotional hype was about. It was just kind of an added uh, bonus. So, oh, and there was a uh, frame photos of a willow and an ivy in the background of that November twenty second photo, which we know are names on the track. Willow being the first one. And I guess with that, let's just like get a little bit more into it. I could talk broad strokes about this all the live long day. Um, but to start with Willow. Well, okay, a couple of things, you guys. One, okay, we talked about what, do we, did we, did I specify why people think it's a tri- 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 trilogy besides, so the Long Pond conversation, the Woodvale of it all that's maybe been debunked, the uh, 4.30 in the uh, Cowboy Like Me video, being the exact same, you know, equidistant time from the other albums that would kind of like round out the pair of threes. Um, and also, oh yeah, there's like something with merch where the one color of merch is like associated with folklore. Then the next cardigan associated with evermore, like there's a, the, the tag moved and it's pink and whatever. But then there's another cardigan, like another set of scrunchies that are a different color that aren't really assigned to anything. And I think people assume that's the third album. I actually think a third album is very likely. I don't think it's going to be called Woodvale. Um, but also, I think that what's happening is that, like I said, she just has wanted to do this for so long. 
she's in an era where she can really pull off this type of songwriting and kind of capitalize on the like almost psyche of this era where this type of music is really working. And then I think when the world returns back to normal, she probably there's a part of her that may need to kind of revisit uh, more easily digestible pop uh, at a point. But if this is where her heart is and if this is where she feels like she can maximize this storytelling in this kind of short period of time where she's not burdened by like media and touring and rehearsals, like that's awesome. I mean, honestly, she's so incredibly productive and prolific. And I'm uh, uh, my first thought was like, uh, Taylor, like take a break. (laughs) Go away with us for the summer. Let's go upstate. Well, she already did go upstate to Long Pond. And when she was there performing her last album, she was recording new songs. So girlfriend just really wanted to get her plan through Congress, I guess. She she truly has Hamilton vibes and writes like she is running out of time. And I, I love her for it. But I hope she also, you know, takes some takes a breather. Even like folklore comes out. And then you know, she does like 12 playlists and I'm really confused because it's like, here's the escapism chapter. And I'm like, chill. But like also the sleepless nights chapter has like six songs of overlap with the escapism chapter. So like, what's the vibe? Are these like mutually exclusive? Like, what? what, I, I still, I still don't really understand those playlists. And then we get the long pond sessions. And then when we get Evermore, uh, like within a day, we have three remixes of Willow which another pair of threes and to add even another pair of threes to this like you guys the evermore even just the sole fact that it's got my three top w's is is enough grounds for me to stick around it is it is it's witchy it's woodsy and it's whimsy and for that i am thrilled we got three remixes of willow lonely witch moonlit witch and dancing witch i had no choice but to break out my venn diagrams i'm like okay do i want to be Lonely under the moon, dancing under the moon, or dancing while lonely. And two out of three of those things sound desirable. But then I kind of felt like I needed to, you know, cast myself in one just to really take ownership. And I think I've decided that this bitch is majorly a moonlit witch, if only because of my um, lengthy devotion in my youth to Bath and Body Jerks. Uh, well-loved scent uh, by octogenarians, a moonlit path. I was a moonlit witch majority of my life. I, you know, I've talked about it before. I wouldn't so much splash on this body splash as I would do a do like can opener into it every single day. Just immerse myself in this, in this musky purple, what I assume was repurposed insect repellent. Um, I also, I, I feel like I say you refer to can openers a lot, but I'm very, uh, it was when when it comes to suburban pool culture, I do find a can opener to be a refined alternative to the splash tastic cannonball. Honestly, sometimes I lie awake at night and just feel grateful I'm not playing a game of sharks and minnows. That shit's stressful. Anyway, <laughs> I uh, what was I talking about? Lonely witch, moonlit witch, dancing witch. It's a real shining, shimmering, splendid of whatever. Uh, feminist sorcery we have going on right now and i'm i i am here for it are you kidding me i want to join a coven so bad after i saw like willow is not uh one of my favorite songs it's not a full skip but it's not it doesn't um it, it, it the the one i think 
which also wasn't my favorite comparatively is such a stronger start. And I know we're not comparing tit for tat, but I just think I love, I'm doing good. I'm on some new shit. It's just like the best. And I think that I struggled with like the point of willow or the angle or, um, yeah, I think I needed a stronger point of view or something from it. Uh, but it does sound very, uh, enchanting and sireny. And when we get to the point in the woods where, all the women are walking with the cloaks. I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's, that is my, that is my dream. I, I would love to join a coven of well-intentioned witches that are only really cast, casting spells for like social justice. You know what I mean? Like I want to be a part of a, a, a crew of witches, but is pretty much only there for the philanthropy uh, powers wise, but otherwise is there for the camaraderie. I love a, a mandatory, uh, group situation where people are essentially obligated to hang out with me. I love uh, a deep hood and, and, and a cloak. I love black clothing. I love the forest. I love um, bonfires, especially in snow. I love ambient mood lighting, whether it's uh, the fire coming off of a cauldron, the floating globes in the sky we're somehow manipulating with our telekinetic powers, or just a general, you know, twinkle light air we might have at a place like a long pond that I think witches would really thrive. I think too, cottagecore kind of wears on me a bit and I was ready to like step away from it. I I, I admire the self-sufficiency, the DIYing, the craftsmanship, the commitment to romanticizing an agricultural lifestyle that to be fair is often hugely, horrendously uh, underpaid and overworked and not an option for many, but I don't know that I struggle a little bit with um anything that like glamorizes hard labor for the gram, you know, to and completely misrepresents the industry. That would really frustrate me. Uh, but alas, I'm not a farmer and I am speaking out of turn. But um, anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, cottage core. Yeah. So one thing that made me laugh that is like so quintessentially Taylor is that um, she said that when she was planning the folklore, like cover art, um, her inspiration was, and I quote, a vision of a girl sleepwalking through the forest in a nightgown in 1830. You know, <laughs> you guys know how I feel about the nap dress. It's like Nell Diamond is trying to rebrand a nightgown to me, sell it as a nap dress for $160. Uh, all the while, branding the company uh, as a Victorian ghost who's worn out from all of the hand wringing. Literally, these are things she says in press. And I'm just obsessed with nap dresses because it's like, what? It, it, to me, it's it's so um, it's regressive and like oppressive in a sense. And and the nap dress company is like, we just love to take back the power of the woman after a long day of hand wringing. And I'm like, how about we don't do the hand wringing and we split the chores? I don't. It just truly reminds me of like old movies and the outfits worn in like the early 20th century. I don't watch a ton of 1830s uh, cinema, but <laughs> I don't think that exists. Uh, where it's just like, yeah, grab a bucket and a mop. That's a nap. Like, why Why are we, why do you want to be wearing that? Like, I don't know. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I, I, I like antique furniture. I'm cool walking in my house and being like, yeah, Based on my surroundings, can women vote? Like, I don't know. It's just furniture. But clothing feels oppressive to me. And I want to wear an outfit that just screams, I have basic rights, you know? And I think that's where I struggle with a little bit of the cottagecore element that feels like old-timey, uh, homesteady, uh, milkmaidy, 
uh, I just want to make sure it's the woman's choice. And in most cases with uh, elective cottagecore, it, it is indeed. If there is ever an article that lives rent-free in my head, it is that 2014 Rolling Stone article where we found out Taylor Swift has like a full rack of vintage nightgowns that her and her gal pals like would wear around the apartment on, on a Tuesday. And I would always think about like, man, uh, you know, if ever she's in a situation, marry me, Juliet, I talk to your dad, go pick out a white dress. She'd be like, great. I have 26. Uh, take your pick. Uh, white gauzy dresses are a Taylor Swift staple that is almost shocking to me when she poses in a photo of a white gauzy dress and everybody on the internet's like, I'm calling out, she's married. And I'm like, I don't know if you're a soothsayer so much as you're just like an observer of normal sociological patterns because she's a 31 year old woman in a four year relationship that could definitely get married and it wouldn't be that weird. But also can we please as women not, I mean, all day, every day, our professional accomplishments get overshadowed by, you know, unsolicited inquiries into our personal lives of when are, you know, are we single? Are we getting engaged soon? When are we getting married? Are we having kids? Uh, people feel so entitled to not only ask the details of our personal lives, but also to actively ignore our professional success in favor of almost perceiving to measure our progress in life against these highly personal standards that really have no bearing on how we should uh, measure our worth. Yet we leave these gatherings and, and getaways and, you know, other people's milestones. Back when we socialized, it's like we go to celebrate other people, but so often you leave feeling inadequate or feeling like you're operating from a deficit because people make it being single not seem like a choice. People assume single people want partners. People assume people without kids want kids. People assume uh, we, we got to stop doing that. And similarly, we, we it doesn't hurt to do our best to not do that to the people we're fans of either. Like the marriage conversation with Taylor just drives me nuts for some reason. And I don't know why, because I'm the biggest relationship speculator of all. Like I'll, I'll go so far out of bounds, but something about like, I don't know. I, I think I'm hypersensitive to situations where it's like, whatever it is you're thinking and you're curious about, the person is also wondering or wanting to get engaged or wondering, you know, when they'll have kids and when they'll be able to get pregnant or whatever it is. Like we're often dealing with these things like very personally anyway, and can't always share them for a particular reason. And I don't know. It's like to have the most prolific era of her career to be freaking writing lyrics, like should have kept every grocery store receipt because every scrap of you would be taken from me, watched as you signed your name, Marjorie, all your closets of backlog dreams and you how you left them all to me. I, like, <laughs> I wasn't planning on reading from Marjorie because I knew that's it took me down last week. But like, I, I get passionate about this because I'm like, God, this is such brilliance. And I just never, I don't know, I think I, I think of her like reading feedback and people being like, oh man, she's not married, just another white gauzy dress or like only asking about engagement or only gleaning what they want from each song about like her having a pregnancy. People, people were like speculating at one point with folklore about like a miscarriage and all these things. And I'm just like, oh my God, you guys, I, I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent, but all that to say, friendly holiday season reminder that you are doing absolutely fine as you are and the life decisions you've made up to this point were a function of you doing the very best you could with what you had at that time and stand up for yourself you're a grown woman and you know exactly what you're doing and you're doing the right thing for yourself all the time and anybody who is trying to be on a cocktail hour high horse and uh, you know 
give you the coulda, woulda, shouldas of rose-colored retrospect to make you walk away from that party feeling like you're somehow behind. My God, you are worlds ahead. You are worlds ahead because you are free. You're making your own choices. And so often the people that burden us with those types of uh, probing questions are so fundamentally uncomfortable with <laughs> other people's freedom and independence and and you know ability to choose what they do with their own lives like it's always people that seem to have followed a pretty narrow path and in the case of uh tis the damn season maybe that is the more desirable path who who the hell knows but you know i just i i it kills me to think of any of you being made to feel bad about anything in this year when we've been through enough if somebody's bothering you about you know finding a significant other ask them if their husband's single if somebody is on their high horse you go too below and you break into their car and in advance plan a loop. Soon you'll get better. Marjorie, uh, the best day and never grow up. The hell, throw in the Christmas shoes. See if I care. The best revenge is Sonic Hell, I guess. <laughs> um, okay, so some of like the fun like little things and theories that I wanted to point out that are always good to point out with these albums. And then I swear I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the songs, but again, I just, I really do need a lot more time with them. And, uh, I am finding my opinions are changing like literally on the hour. Oh shit. And the other thing I wanted to talk about too is this. Okay. This, I think a big part of the darkness of this album, it is so literary. And, um, there was, you know, an air of Jane, if you will, and Jane Eyre. In the in folklore, there's always Gatsby references. I'm seeing a lot of Wuthering Heights here. I actually am like kind of wanting to work out in my head a um a part of Joe's involvement. He is currently I don't know if they I think they're I don't think they've wrapped production. I don't know when it's filming, but he is in a movie about the Bronte sisters, you know, Charlotte Emily and Anne. Emily wrote Wuthering Heights and died when she was like 30. Um, Anne, I heard, was a mega hottie. Uh, and Charlotte wrote, of course, Jane Eyre. Um, and they all of these like really interesting, tragic stories. And there's so many parallels with Wuthering Heights. So I feel like a lot of the the themes of um, uh, what's it called? Evermore. My head's spinning. But anyways, I part of me was wondering if um, between that and like uh, what's Joe's, the other movie Joe's in is also, I felt like had a lot of um, parallels to Last Letter from Your Lover. Um, he's in two movies that like have so many parallels to some of these plot lines that I'm kind of wondering if it's like part of an art more, I don't know, something artistically exploratory on his behalf of getting into a certain um, headspace or, you know, having to figure out what to do with like star-crossed lovers of it all. And a lot of people also said that the um, the announcement on... December 10th was a function of Emily Dickinson's birthday. Um, she obviously, a very famous poet, didn't know her poems were going to be famous, unfortunately, until after she died. But she has um, a poem that's like, One Sister Have I in Our House. And uh, I think it's about her lover, Sue, maybe, but it ends in Forevermore. And, um, I mean, given the girl sleepwalking through the forest in a nightgown in 1830, like... I've heard crazier things, uh, but I do think the literary references are thick and I'm obsessed with that. It really panders to the dark academia of it all, of uh, looking back on tragic love stories. And actually, why does she reference The Great Gatsby so much? Is she like a, a huge Fitzgerald stan? Um, because 
at one point in folklore, well, she quotes Hemingway in The Sun Also Rises. Um, and then she quotes Gatsby twice in Evermore. One is happiness. Um, it's a line about being a beautiful fool, but she's kind of like flipping it and using it a little bit, like not facetiously, but um, yeah, it's like kind of like a, a, a backhanded compliment, right? And um, then all you want from me now is the 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 green light of forgiveness is what she ultimately refers to. Um, but also, you know, the references in past albums about like feeling so Gatsby for that whole year. Um, the Hemingway thing was more so tied to invisible string, right? Uh, shoot. I wish I wrote that down. And then, yeah, Emily Dickinson with the forevermore end poem, the dates matching up the sister thing. I've read the lyrics. I haven't heard the song of one of the bonus tracks that I actually do think is finally going to address the falling out of the Carly Kloss relationship. Like whether or not you think something happened with them romantically, I know people are very split on that. I, I even have given up on wanting to understand that more deeply because the bottom line is they had a huge falling out and something went down. Like they were the best, best, best of friends. And like in the absence of some sort of major controversy, like, I don't know. I just feel like people that are that close for a given time don't just like completely stop talking radio silence. And that's why so often it's like kind of lends itself to more of a breakup vibe. Right. But then when you add in the scooter of it all and Carly being represented by him, the specific lyrics I was thinking of are when the words of a sister, remember the Emily Dickinson sister of it all, when the words of a sister come back in whispers that prove she was not. In fact, that she seemed not a twin from your dreams. She's a crook who was caught. Do you guys have goosebumps? Like, this is so obviously about, I'm sorry. Like, there's just no question in my mind. And I'm not even, again, talking about the romantic piece. Like, I think that, like, bottom line, there was a serious friend betrayal. And something happened where she says something she shouldn't or betrayed her in some way or says something to Scooter or who the hell knows. But the media often referred to them as twins. They, like, kind of did look super similar. Oh, and I also just came across a tweet that um, somebody saying, Carly saying happiest of birthdays to my writer, die Taylor Swift. I feel blessed to count you as my friend, sister and partner in crime. Not anymore. Honestly, I'm just glad that if, if, if we do think it's Carly, I'm just like glad that she's giving us closure because like, I think it's been obvious for a long time. They have like no friendship, no relationship. And at a point it's like been so long. I don't even care what the premise of it was, but in just never addressing it, it kind of just like gives it too much life. You know, when I just, I don't know if something, I, I, I don't know, you guys, I am excited for those two songs though. It, I love like, uh, the tie, the even track titles of the bonus ones. And I feel like they feed into each other. One being super like nostalgic uh, right where you left me and one being like a moment of taking back control and it being time to go like, yes, I just feel like they're going to be important. Okay. So what we're going to do now, now is um, go through some like the fun, easier clues to go through the notes I've taken from like Reddit and Tumblr and the like uh, to make sure we're covering like all the fun Easter eggy things. And I will talk until I run out of uh, mega. <laughs> Basically I have a finite amount of data storage 
on my plan and I keep pushing it and pushing it and running out of it because my files are large and uh, like Destiny's inner child really screwed me over because of all the music. It's a whole thing. Anyways, so I'll do as much of this episode as I can. And then anything that uh, overflows, I'll just put on Patreon because most of you like diehard Taylor Swift fans are on there anyway. And we'll do more, maybe uh, better track by track analyses there. Or like I did last time, I just like picked out the handful of my favorite, favorite songs, did some with my sister, which I'll do um, over Christmas too, hopefully. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we need, we went over that I don't think she's married or pregnant. I was kind of laughing listening to this album. I was like, you guys think she's married? This, this is a, this is a multi part divorce anthology. Like, what's, what are you talking about? Um, JK, I know it's about other people. Uh, oh, okay. We need to talk about the Jimmy Kimball ham, hand symbol thing and like these TikTok theories about vehicular mans. Like, I can't. <laughs> okay. Let me thank our advertiser uh, really quick and then I'll be right back. The first is a product that I use throughout the night when I record really late like this and my back and shoulders start to inevitably hurt, and that is Theragun. I love, love, love this thing, you guys. Uh, it, it, the stress of daily life weighs down us all to a degree, right? And it doesn't matter if you're an elite athlete or a regular gal with tech neck like myself just trying to get through the day. Muscle pain and muscle tension is uh, a real thing and a frustrating problem. And Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The all-new Gen 4 Theragun is proprietary, has a proprietary brushless motor that's super quiet. You'll wonder if it's even on. Um, and it allows you to soothe your aching muscles through their signature power amplitude and effectiveness. My favorite part is their app called Therabody. It connects to your device and there's programs for the most elite of athletes in every workout recovery uh, and warm up you could think of from targeted areas of the body to the type of workout. But there's also plenty for just regular lifestyle needs, taking a break from work, uh, from travel. There's a featured one today called Holiday Shopping Relief. We love that. I'm so thankful to the fellow Beths that introduced me to this product. I use it every day. And I think you will really love it too. So try Theragun for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need. And these are starting at only $199. So go to theragun.com slash be there in five right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash be there in five, theragun.com slash be there in five. Next, you know, as Taylor Swift says, if the shoe fits, walk in it. And there are shoes that fit no better, no more comfortably than, of course, Rothy's. This season gave the gift of comfortable, washable, and sustainable shoes and bags from Rothy's. They make stylish, sustainable shoes, bags, masks. They're carefully crafted with eco-friendly materials like repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic. There's truly no break-in period. I know I've talked about this before, but they have this seamlessly knit-to-shape design, and they're the most comfortable shoes that you can wear from the second you get them. It's quite remarkable. Don't take my word for it. Their most popular, uh, one of their best-selling shoes, the Point in Black, has over 3,000 near-perfect reviews. And you can spread some holiday cheer with the newest Rothy styles like winter-ready shoes, brand-new bags, and washable masks. Glamour Magazine named Rothy's one of the top gift ideas you can't go wrong with. And Allure says Rothy's is the eco-conscious gift, gift you'll see on every list. And it's true. I do see them on every list. And they rightfully should be. They come with free shipping and free returns on eligible items so you can go without worry. They are ethical and make them out of plastic water bottles. They've transformed nearly 70 million bottles into beautiful shoes, handbags, and face masks. And they're fully machine washable, which is so nice. Every time they need a refresh, you just simply toss them in the washing machine. 
So we love Rothy's. They prioritize sustainability and manufacturing every step of the way. And you can check out all the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com slash be there in five. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash be there in five. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorite. Did I mention earlier? So, you know, we, we stand a numerology queen. She loves the number 13, does everything in 13s. And um, she turned 31 on December 13th, which is the inverse of 13. And on folklore there was 16 tracks without bonus and 15 i believe or maybe vice versa on evermore making it 31 tracks again in verse of 13 i love the little details she's too clever um she allegedly somebody sent me a screenshot of something that said uh there she had like 31 turns like in her braids and the braids are also a reason people think it's going to be a trilogy because um like, you know, the it takes like three strands of hair or whatever. But she did that in the, I, I don't know. Ooh, somebody sent me this really cool PowerPoint. I need to give credit to this person because they kind of put together a bunch of Easter eggs. Kristen Luna sent this to me and I was almost done recording. And I was like, no, I wish I'd seen this earlier. Her name's Sammy Lang, um, at Snazzy Sammy. Explore the scary parts of Reddit forevermore so you don't have to. I mean, when I hear the lyrics, uh fell down the rabbit hole long story short it was a bad time that's like my the, the my short memoir based on my time on reddit jk i actually really do like reddit but it does get dark sometimes okay so thank you to sammy right uh for outlining some of this for me because some of the photos i hadn't seen of like the merch and stuff that's just helpful context okay so Taylor and Aaron Dessner use the word sketching and tracing to describe folklore like an outline. With the addition of muted color to this album cover, this album is associated, assumed to be more colored in, which is interesting. And I would agree that like I, I called inappropriately probably folklore, the bunny slope or like the friend who like wants to hang and like be fun at the pool, aka me, but like is trying to hide that she doesn't want to get her hair wet or, you know, ruin her mascara because she's not really a natural beauty. Not yet, at least. That was the story of my life amidst pool culture in my youth. I've talked about the pool a lot today. Um, which, yeah, so that tracks. There are rumors that this album is actually part of a trio. We talked about that. Um, the Cowboy Like Me video, there's a clock set to 4.30. I don't totally get why people care about this, but also in that Cowboy Like Me video, there's uh, five wine glasses for her five re-recorded albums and then two bottles for Reputation and Lover and then three books for Folklore Evermore in the third album. I don't know if that's a thing, though. I just... Uh, I have a lot of like bottles and books and albums lying around. Part of me wants to write an elaborate conspiracy theory based off what you could glean from my social media behavior because it is erratic and I forget a lot of things all the time and probably uh, contradict myself often. Um, okay, this is where I get a little lost, but I'll tell you guys because it's a theory and some people care about it and I want to inform you. Uh, but I, I'm not sure I totally follow because I, to me, Marjorie is just a more straightforward attempt to have the 13th track on both albums, you know, be a, a salute to both of her grandparents but apparently there's three pennsylvania towns that kind of fall into this whole triad thing um woodvale wyomissing and bradford so woodvale the hide and seek album wyomissing taylor's hometown and bradford where dorothy and marjorie who went missing and their brother alan are all from they're almost an equilateral equilateral triangle we already got the sister album Dorothea and Marjorie. Now we just need the brother album. In folklore, we had three kids, James, Inez, and Betty. I'm going to say I don't I don't believe this one. 
because I really don't see any planet in which Woodvale is not Joe Alwyn's like former residence uh, where Taylor probably just like spent a lot of time. In the Long Pond Sessions, Taylor refers to there being a trilogy, then corrects herself. Yep, we talked about that. Uh, oh, yeah. And then she tells Jimmy Kimmel she doesn't like doing cartwheels at parties. It feels random. It's then discovered that National Cartwheel Day is April 29th. Oh, God. Do you guys remember all the madness with International Scrabble Day and then there was like International Dice Day? I cannot live through the lover era again of being so wrong all the time. I think that's why I bow out and then I just like to be surprised. Um, she also tells Jimmy Kimmel that Woodvale is a codename for folklore. She didn't want the word of the album to get out and then she forgot to take it off the mock-up. Seems convenient. It was only on the hide-and-seek one, but who's to say? She also said she's tired, which like two albums in one year will do that to you. Okay, there's been two or three interviews where she's been like, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm, I, I'm spent. Like there's something that I can't quite figure out that she's doing. Um, because you can tell when she's inserting something that doesn't really belong there. And also per the cartwheel comment, um, didn't the, I mean, I know it was like a stand in, but like, didn't somebody do a cartwheel in the delicate video or like bad blood at least I could have sworn she did one in Valentine's day, the movie with Taylor Lautner, but I don't know. She She's mentioned she can't do a cartwheel so many different times. There's a change.org petition. Only 22 people have signed it. I mean, if you and your family can find it in your hearts this holiday season to help those less fortunate around the world who have never seen Taylor Swift do a cartwheel, please consider contributing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't, her fans are wild. Um, but also she said it in her Vogue 73 questions interview that she can't do a cartwheel. And she also did it in an Us Weekly interview. But she has double-jointed elbows, so that's probably why, you know? Okay, I want to get to lyrics soon, but the last two things I have... Okay, re-weird TikTok rumors. Hi, this is Kate coming from the beyond. Um, I'm about to talk about the speculation that Taylor Swift might uh, be in harm because she used a hand symbol that is often used in secretive cir uh, circumstances to signal that you may be a victim of domestic violence. So just a heads up. Uh, skip ahead like three minutes. Okay, so when Taylor was on Kimmel, she was talking about the Woodvale uh, alleged mistake she made uh, mocking up the cover. And this one was hide and seek. And she used the same number of letters and whatever. I talked about that earlier. Um, and when, like right around the time she like says the word code and is kind of talking about this, she puts her thumb into her palm as if you're gesturing kind of the number four. Uh, it's kind of fast. It seems a little jerky, but like I'm fidgety. I talk and mess with my hands a lot. And I also crack my thumbs a lot. And that is how I crack my thumbs by crossing my thumb into my palm. She actually did not do the full symbol properly. Um, and then TikTok and a lot of Twitter, like a lot of places went wild speculating that she was, it was a cry for help and that she's in trouble and that she just used this hand gesture that's supposed to basically be like, I'm in trouble. I need help. And I found this so frustrating um, for several reasons. And we deleted so many of these posts that came up in the Facebook group because the hand gestures, you know, I, it's like speculation that you could say is uh, good natured or concerned but the hand gesture is supposed to be done in private and never in public or on national television. Certainly not something that would yield or give the anybody an opportunity for playback because it completely defeats the purpose. It's intended to be subtle and discreet because a person 
trying to seek help in that circumstance cannot let their abuser know that they're looking for help, right? And it's supposed to be a private thing and it's supposed to be something that, well, we want women to know about it. The broad national knowledge or international knowledge, making it more ubiquitous, making it something that somebody could, that an abuser could notice somebody doing is dangerous too. And just in general, false info about, you know, domestic violence is a, it's just speculation I, I don't like, and it felt inappropriate. And in the off chance that is what was happening, it could really be even more harmful to her. So I, I really do genuinely think she's surrounded by a lot of people. And I think if she needed help, she wouldn't be asking us, the fans, the general public on a you know, nationally airing talk show. I think this is like, you know, one of the downsides of developing a parasocial illusionary relationship with fans that think they're your friends that watch your every move I just it's confusing for me to think that people legitimately would be like we need to help her you know that's like it's a little disturbing to me like I I really it's kind of like the free Britney of it all I just it's I don't know you guys I just think it's important to remember well, in general, with like the problematic nature of so many conspiracy theories, it's like people aren't pro- probably aren't blinking in Morse code. Mo- most people don't know advanced uh, how to like do an advanced coding language or series of gestures to tell people things. Like more often than not, you know, use Occam's razor. <laughs> the simplest answer is most often the correct one. Uh, and I think so often people read way too much into things. And even though Taylor Swift loves like to. Uh, code things and plant Easter eggs and secrets and use numerology. I genuinely don't think this applies to her genuine safety. Uh, so that's why I just I hate I hate that spreading on social media. I hate the use of such an important gesture as like tabloid gossip sort of. And I hate that and an abuser could see that and then like, you know, see their partner doing it and it would completely lose its effect. Um, I think too, it's just like, I worry about this stuff with COVID because domestic violence is like, it's, you know, it's a problem that people are stuck at home. It's a problem that, uh, there are less opportunities for people to get out and to create a safety plan. And, um, I just want to remind people if, if you do need help, there is that hand signal during a video call and the, that can signal the person you're with that you are in need of help. I know the symbol. I think a lot of people do. Um, please, if somebody ever does actually do that, visit thehotline.org. It, that, that, that's a website that's an incredible resource for both victims and friends of that walk you through different uh, scenarios, safety plans, how to be an advocate, how to walk somebody through decision making, how to support them the best you can, how to keep them safe. Um, how to put them in touch with the right resources, all of those things. It's a hotline.org, just a heads up. Uh, but anyway, I just, I didn't like that speculation. I do not think it's true. I do not think we should ever be under the delusion that she would come to us, the general public, for help. What the hell can we do? Well, I'm sure the concern for most is well-intentioned. I think for many, it's a little clickbaity and it's kind of sick. Um, the next weird-ass theory on TikTok is that now for an abrupt ad break. <laughs> Here at Be There in Five, we're often overcome by what I call the aioli spirit, which really is just 
a way to say we're we're a dipping sauce people. We're a sauce people. Um, I love sauces. The world is but a vehicle for me to put a sauce on. And when I was approached by a hot sauce advertiser that I've heard so many people rave about, I was so excited because what is life without the the perfect pairing? Uh, you can't imagine hot wings without buffalo sauce, French fries without ketchup. Tortilla chips without queso? Sauce isn't a condiment. It's a main event. It's a main character. It's a way of life. But not all sauce is created equal. And truff, T-R-U-F-F, as in fantastic, is a luxury hot sauce. That's right, luxury hot sauce that makes every meal five stars. It's crafted with a signature blend of red chili, black truffle, organic agave nectar, and savory spices. Each bottle ships pristinely packaged and ready to gift, topped with truff's eye-catching black diamond-shaped lid hinting at the truffle-infused treasure inside. You know, to quote Danity Canada as a showstopper, I don't mean to overly harp on packaging, but it is really cool to give kind of a commonplace item in luxury packaging that looks like it's already gift wrapped. I mean, the white truffle is in this like gold and white box. I mean, it's stunning. Uh, but beyond that, I, 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 I dip fries in hot sauce. I mix eggs with it. It's been featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, Rachel Ray, Food Network, Food and Wine, and more. They've been on Oprah's Favorite Things for two years in a row. They have over 10,000 five-star reviews and 2 billion followers worth of shout outs on social. Billion with a B. So if you want to see for yourself why Truff is the number one best-selling sauce on Amazon and Whole Foods nationwide, and also the biggest hot sauce on Instagram and TikTok, you can get 10% off site Why when you use promo code be there in five at truff.com. That's 10% off everything, including white truff VIP box and truff variety packs, just in time for the holidays. Just shop at truff.com, that's T-U-R-F-F-F as in fantastic, dot com, and use promo code be there in five. I forgot to mention, there's like the hot sauce, that's the truffle chili sauce that started it all, the jalapeno forward hotter sauce that's spicier, and then there's a premium white truff hot sauce that's very luxurious and fragrant and white truffle, and the variety pack comes with all three, and it's a gorgeous gift box. Trust me, it, it's really, really cool. So anyways. All right, that was it for ads. So back to Evermore. People genuinely think that Taylor Swift and Harry Styles, at one point during their very brief relationship, committed vehicular manslaughter and have been singing about it through their songs. And that is not a joke. And I think it's the most insane thing ever. My friend who's an attorney was like, that if that were actually true, somebody would know about it. Their camps would have to be like crazy about covering it up. And they would never, ever sing about it in songs that could implicate them. Beyond that, cars are like such a metaphor for so many things. And Taylor Swift sings about cars and headlights all the time. But this, the symbol of headlights to me has always been like you have to turn them off so nobody can see you coming because privacy is the name of the game. Obviously, we know, remember when you hit the brakes too soon, 20 stitches in the hospital room. You started crying, baby, I did too. When the sun came up, I was looking at you. She said in an old Rolling Stone interview that that was about a snowmobiling accident in Utah. I guess she can say whatever she wants. But and she also mentioned that she uses like lyrics like that to show that, you know, I know places like she can hide basically if she needs to. And that there's there are parts of her life the media will never know about. Um, but OK, like, let's look at this. Also, with the 20 stitches, I know I said this on my Patreon, but I, I'll I. I forever will obsess over the number 20 because I just feel like it shows up in, um, I don't know, I feel like it shows up a lot when it doesn't really need to. Like, have I known you 20 seconds or 20 years? Been sleeping so long in a 20-year dark night. 20 stitches in the hospital room. Uh, in the prologue of Cardigan, she's like, the you know feeling of loss 20 years later about the cardigan. Epiphany, it's 20 minutes to sleep. Um cardigan once in 20 lifetimes it's like she just uses it 
sometimes when I feel like it doesn't really make sense. Oh, and it's nice to have a friend. 20 questions. We tell the truth, but 20 questions is a real thing. Anyway, if anyone has any thoughts, let me know. Uh, certainly can't be about the magic of 2020. 20 is like now everybody's unlucky number. Um, but what was I saying? Oh, back to the the the, the uh, fan timeline about this. I mean, people are making Spotify playlists. It's wild. So it says Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, vehicular manslaughter, comprehensive song timeline. Uh, this was written by a Tumblr user called Milf Harry Styles. Welcome to New York. We begin our story in New York. Style. Harry and Taylor go on a drive. Bad driver. No headlights. He can't keep his wild eyes on the road. People are really harping on how it's a, the way style is written. Um, it means Harry's a bad driver. And I just like I don't think that's what she was trying to get at. But uh, what's the line in all too well? Uh, almost ran the red because you were looking over me. I mean, that doesn't line up with this timeline, guys. Uh, I know places. They're on the run. They've done the deed. There's a body, but Taylor knows the places they can hide. Some might say no body, no crime. Sign of the times, Harry Styles. They got to get away from here. I, out of the woods. Months later, they've gone their separate ways and no one knows, but Taylor still wonders if they are in the clear. Remember when he hit the brakes too soon? Shake it off. She gets over it. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Do you really think she'd sing about vehicular manslaughter crime she committed that she probably would never like sleep again, regretting it and feeling so awful about it? And she would sing a bridge like, hey, hey, hey. Just when you've been getting down and out about all the liars and the dirty, dirty cheats of the world, you could have been getting down to this sick beat manslaughter. Like, no! You know, Internet Sleuths of America. Hold on, i got to move my mic. I keep switching mics because I keep hearing this rumbling noise and I cannot freaking figure out what it is. Um, like, I respect the research. I respect the sleuthing. I appreciate if you want justice for this alleged victim. Um, but I, I just do not think this is very likely simply from an open admission of guilt standpoint. You know what I mean? Um, and then they say after shake it off, she gets over it. Ever since New York, Harry doesn't shake it off. Two ghosts, they meet again, and Harry thinks back to how different they were pre-murder. They're not who they used to be. All the ghost references. Clean, and by morning, gone was any trace of you. I think I am finally clean. There's an epilogue with, I did something bad because she did something bad. Getaway car, uh, you know, self-explanatory and the like. Um, you know, guys, I just don't know if I'm going to hang my hat on this theory, mostly because I don't know. As a fan, I, I I like to speculate, but I also genuinely feel she's a person of integrity. And I do not think she would go out of her way to cover this horrendous crime up, receive no justice for the victim, but also openly admit to it in these songs. So I'm going to say that's a no from me, dog, to use a very popular Randy Jackson meme from the mid-2010s. But speaking of murder, and I know I said this in the last podcast, but like truly, it is crazy that Carol Baskin is helping to co-host New Year's Rockin' Eve with Andy Cohen and Anderson Cooper. On what planet is somebody who's been accused of murder, whose family thinks murdered her husband, like being celebrated in such a way? I think she, I think she's a fleeting star. I think she's the Ken Bone of 2020. But like... You know, we'll recognize her name, be like, oh, yeah, was she from? But I don't know if she'd be who she is without the TikTok dance. Carol Baskin killed her husband, whacked him. Can't convince me that it didn't happen. Carol Baskin to Megan Thee Stallion's Savage. But like New Year's Rock and Eve? Like what? On what planet, you guys? I just it's so crazy. We're, we're, we're glorifying a murderer there. And I guess, too, if you really believe that theory with about Taylor and Harry. It's funny. I think that I've spent I spent a long time feeling so irritated by Harry Styles just because I associated him with like kind of the unfair and frustrating 
every every time she does anything, people are like, it's about Harry Styles. And it's just been happening since like 2012. And when you look at their relationship timeline, it's really short. It's like six weeks or something. And they're, I, I don't know, the whole thing's bizarre. Um, and I just don't feel like it warrant, like, I don't feel like such a brief relationship would like warrant as much songwriting as everybody attributes to him. And I, even though I understand it's a notable pop culture relationship that if this were happening like now, I would, I mean, I'd, I'd freak out. I wasn't like as in tune with uh, Harry Styles back then, nor was I think the general public like as obsessed with following Taylor Swift Easter eggs. I actually think that like, I don't know, whatever. Back then I was just more so paying attention to the music. Um, but I did love the album notes. My God, with the capitalized letters. Ugh, chef's kiss. Maple lattes. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like now suddenly... I'm on board. Uh, what if what if his fans call him? Uh, I guess I'm a stylist. <laughs> that was, I don't think that's right. Um, anyway, you guys. Okay, let's move on. Oh, the other thing that's weird that happened is that it, in the Apple Music video, she um, <laughs> at 31 minutes and 13 seconds. We know she loves 13s and 31s. She says her house phone rings and she says something along the lines of like, I didn't know I had a house phone. Um, but on the 26th of August in 2014, she tweeted, my home phone is ringing. I did not know I had a home phone. Interesting development. What's that about? <laughs> I know she has so many houses, but she really should. I mean, if this has happened twice now, I assume at different homes, I don't know where she was August 26, 2014. Uh, but I feel like she should really be paying closer attention to her finances because some, somebody is setting up her, you know, cable and internet package with a combo landline. And that adds on a solid, what, $10, $15 a month? That's like, tw you know, 20% of the cost of one Santal 26 candle. I wonder if her CPA ghosted her as well. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. I'm like, okay, it's obviously means something if it happened at 31 minutes and 13 seconds. Uh, so yeah, then I tailspin and I'm just like, okay, phone, phone ringing. Oh my God, does she have a ring? Uh, oh my gosh, does she like to talk on the phone? That's crazy. I don't know. I don't know, guys. I think the next album is, is going to be called Time Warner Spectrum. <laughs> this entire time the invisible string was a phone cord she did not know was in her house. Can you believe it? Next album is Landline. I'm calling it now. Uh, okay, guys. My one, only my landline. No, that was Lifeline. Uh, to get into some favorite lyrics. It's like harder because I don't want to, uh, if I go through all the songs, I'll never stop. Um, but I don't, it's like I have everything to say and nothing. I just don't feel like I'm being very insightful. You know what I mean? I was reading, it's funny because both albums, she had Aaron Dessner do the press for them. Really working overtime. It sounds like he wrote all the music before. Like, and a lot of it was kind of old. He had done last year. His favorite, uh, like, melodic track is Tis the Damn Season. Uh, it's interesting to hear him talk about the the music and production piece but behind it. And it just sounds like they've been working around the clock. Um, and I like that he called Evermore uh, wilder than, what's it called? folklore that's exactly how i felt listening to it it's like it's you know it's similar it feels familiar like 
you know, the traits of one another that would be evident within siblings. Uh, and they were produced in the same environment, much like siblings are in the same house. But they are two different people with different DNA. Uh, even though I'm, my argument is that Evermore's DNA is a little tough to mark in its own album or era, but I don't think it would ever be a standalone era with its own tour and stuff. And, uh, you know, I just do want to take this time to address the rampant lover erasure that is occurring right now in America. Um, I won't forget. I don't want you to forget that either. I, I, I feel like we are really... I just, it's upsetting to me that outside of that, like one Paris show that was on my birthday that all those influencers frustratingly got sent to and said Taylor Swift sent them when really Lenovo sent them. And I'm like, what's more upsetting here? The fact that Taylor Swift is sending these influencers on my birthday to her show or the fact that they're trying to claim that they legitimately like and use Lenovo products. Um, but it turned out, yeah, Taylor Swift, like she didn't even meet them. I would have been, so, that's like so confusing. If somebody invited me to her event and I couldn't, decide if it was associated with Taylor Nation or not. And I went all the way out there, hyped up, uh, you know, thought of my best opening line. And then I never saw her. I would have been so upset, even though I'd still be pumped to go. But that's kind of confusing, you know. But yeah, listening to it, it felt like, you know, when you're at a, when you're kind of going, starting an adventure, venturing into something like folklore, you're on the cusp of the forest, you can still see your point of entry, it is different than being truly in the woods, in the wild. In the woods and in the wild is like, there's no turning back. You don't know which way is up. And every corner you turn behind every tree could be something new. It's it's vast. It's incredibly unfamiliar. And I do feel like the journey through this record that I described is like the emotional whiplash song to song, or maybe I said it was hopscotch earlier. I love, I like both of those metaphors and use them way too much. Um uh, it's while chaotic, I don't think that, yeah, the record was meant to uh, have a flow to it so much as it was made with the standalone songs more in mind than the order or any given narrative of the songs. Uh, and I think that it kind of feels like you don't know what's around the next corner behind the next tree. If you're about to fall into the upside down, you can like, appreciate the beauty of the woods once you step back from it, once you're gazing at the trees, uh, once you see their, you know, uniformity that requires a level of uh, perspective. But when you're in them, you have no concept nor regard nor appreciation for how they look when you step back. And that's kind of how I felt like listening versus reflecting on it. It's like, oh, what a charming, magical place that was. But when I was in it listening for the first time, I was like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. Like, I, I need a breather. It's just it's like, the, listening at times for me because I was feeling emotional. is like, yeah, I'm too scared of what's behind the next tree or on the next corner. And uh, yeah, I felt like the music video for Out of the Woods. That's how I felt at times emotionally. I was like uh, crawling through the, the 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 muck and my dress was getting ripped as I went through you know, tolerated and happiness. And by the time I got to like Marjorie, I was just being chased by emotional wolves. So I got pushed to the cliff and then I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> and like the, I feel bad my reaction video, like the last few songs are just like, what? I was so out of it. I had like, you know, when you cry really hard for, even if it's brief and you get a really bad headache. Anyways, again, I loved this album. I'm just saying the song, the storytelling and songwriting is so strong. I just absorbed it a little too hard. My notes are so chaotic, you guys. Um, oh, <laughs> oh, in the song Ivy, I guess she refers to the someone's opal eyes. And there's this anecdote I just always think about from a long time ago. 
when she said her favorite stone is an opal because when she was bullied in school, her mom would take her to TJ Maxx after school. And I'm like, that is, yes, I feel like who doesn't have a memory of perusing a discount retailer after somebody makes fun of you? That's a great way to zone out. My dad took me to Arby's after somebody declined to dance with me because nothing, nothing heals a broken heart or nothing, nothing clears your head like a, like a beef and shed. You know what I mean? Uh, she said, I thought opals were so beautiful and somehow it just made me feel better. We never bought them, just looked. And if you know, she wears a ton of opal jewelry. Um, anyway, I, oh, okay. So she said at the end, she said somewhere that I feel differently today than I felt the day after releasing Folklore, because even the day after releasing Folklore, Aaron and I were still bouncing ideas back and forth. We just knew we were going to keep writing music. With this one, I have this feeling of sort of quiet conclusion and sort of this weird serenity of we did what we set out to do and we're really proud proud of it. And it feels really nice. <clears throat> and Aaron said, inevitably, I think we will continue to be in each other's artistic and personal lives. I don't know exactly what the next form will take, but certainly it will continue. I do think this story, this era has concluded. And I think it is such a beautiful way with I think in such a beautiful way with these sister records. It does kind of feel like there's closure to that. Um. So I don't know. I mean, he they it's like they say everything and nothing. Right. But I did feel like, OK, he said concluded. Um, but I just don't get why on Jimmy Kimmel Live she wouldn't outright deny it. But again, of course she wouldn't because the speculation helps. Um, what else did he say? Aesthetically to me, Evermore is wilder and has more of a band dynamic at times. Again, like I said, by wilder, you mean Laura Ingalls wilder because we are back on the prairie. Uh, I'm just kidding. Actually, it's what folklore is more prairie, open field, Evermore is deaf, more woods. Um, you can feel her songwriting sharpen even more on it, agree, in terms of storytelling and the freedom to make these kinds of songs that were coming. When she started to write in a less diaristic way, hey, she used that word on the Apple interview, and I was like, great word. I love diaristic. And tell these stories. I think she found she had this incredible wealth of experience and depth to her storytelling that was quite natural. She could easily make these songs more reflective or blur the lines of what's autobiographical and what's not in interesting ways. It felt like the most natural thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think the more I think about it, it's, it, you know, she said folklore was like returning home and less of a departure or something like that. Uh, and when I was reviewing it, too, I was like, yeah, this feels more like it captures her her and her natural habitat, her natural essence when you strip away all of the all of the optics that feel necessary for marketing, all of the, you know, earworm uh type of tactics you can deploy in a song to make it catchy, make it top 40, without the pressure to perform, the pressure to sell, um, because she knows she will anyway, because she's at that place in her career. I feel like she can kind of return to her roots and tell stories like they do with country music, but not in the country music format in that twangy style. But when she was in a more storytelling format in her first couple of albums, and she told like, you know, mine wasn't about her, but we weren't like, like banging down at her like, excuse me, are, who, who is like, uh, are, are you talking shit about Scott Swift? You made a rebel of a careless man's careful daughter. How dare you call that? What is he a tax preparer? What was, oh, a stockbroker. Like, we weren't overly worried about her calling Scott Swift careless. We weren't overly worried about her legitimately showing up to a friend's wedding and be like, don't say yes, run away now. I'll meet you in an hour by the church at the back door. You know, that'd be like pretty rude. Uh, as she said, to rudely bar barge in on a way of vacation. Uh, but yeah, I just think that we used to let her do this and not worry about it. Uh, and I think, too, her um, literary 
references get so like more sophisticated over time. You start out with like the Romeo and Juliet's, then you evolve to the Burton to this Taylor. And then we're subtly nodding like in happiness. There's references to the great Gatsby. Um, all I want for me now is the green light of forgiveness, uh, which people think like the, at the end of Daisy's doc, like an allusion to the green light all the way to like everywhere, the end with Jane Eyre and how she sent letters to like writing letters addressed to the fire, which I really like that line because it could mean a lot of things, but she mentioned in the entertainment weekly interview, watching Jane Eyre, uh, Jane Eyre was written by, like I said, one of the Bronte sisters and Emily Bronte who wrote Wuthering Heights is the subject of the movie Emily that Joe is currently filming. So they're, they're deep in their 19th century literary feelings. Um, Anyway, why was I talking about? Oh, I, I think that like when you're when she she was in started writing music at like 13 and was wrote a, a lot of her early albums, the you're able to get lost in fiction because you're idealistic. You can hypothesize about love and life and success and growing old um, and finding your place in the sky because there's such a hopefulness within experience and youth and there's. A kind of the way you picture things you haven't experienced is basically by the way other people's anecdotes or movies or m music kind of conveys it. And I think that she's returning to her same roots of writing fiction and storytelling that she initially did, but inevitably the perception is going to change. It's going to be more rooted in personal experience. It's going to be more rooted in adult themes that in, in hardships that people around her have endured and more mature, obviously films, TV books, whatever that you consume when you're older, but just in general, I think that you're the fiction you'd write as an adult is so much darker than the fiction you'd write in your youth. And if you have that skill, uh, once you start to experience more of complications of the darkness of the human experience i can i'd imagine you'd be incredibly inspired but as we talked about earlier when people uh think that you're writing autobiographically you'd be way too scared to tell those stories because we left the era of the speak nows when we were just assuming she was writing songs to write songs anyway my god i've been talking for way too long again uh I, as i said i wanted to kind of talk just kind of broad strokes in theory it's just a fun bonus episode I hope your expectations weren't too high. I really do want to go into the songs, but like I just genuinely need more time with them. Not 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 to like analyze them outright, but they start to mean different things to me the more I listen and in different scenarios. And I start to develop new favorites and I start to make connections. And I just feel like I would be doing it a disservice now. I'll breathe through, breathe through some of my favorite uh, lyrics and whatnot. Let me look at the track list evermore. Sorry. I'm like down to the wire here. So I'm like talking to you other day. Okay. My favorites are Gold Rush, Champagne Problems, Tis a Damn Season, Ivy, Long Story Short, Evermore. The most astute songs lyrically to me, Tolerate It, Happiness. Though, once I thought more about Willow, I liked it more. I'm kind of surprised it's the single. And in my head, the music video is like not distinguishable from Cardigan. But I guess it is should be noted that in Cardigan, she was like lost at sea. Um, but in Willow, you know, even though she's locked in a glass case of emotion, 
she at least ends up with her lover in a cabin in the woods. What a dream. Um, and I do like, I talked about this in the Patreon. I, I like the metaphor of a willow because they're known for, they're used in literature constantly, but the, they've adapted, like a tree's branches are not normally shaped like that, but this species of tree has adapted over time so that its branches just naturally droop and they bend with the wind and the, the branches are like really, really difficult to break because they are used to enduring that kind of stress and gravity and they're already pulled down they pull themselves down so in a weird way their flaw that makes them different from other trees makes them stronger and i kind of i don't know i think it's a very like mirrorball thing of i can change everything about myself to fit in that can be a great trait or it can be a bad one but a willow tree bends and it's flexible it kind of poses but never snaps and uh, the the more wear and tear, the the more life it has. It kind of becomes more uh, exquisite in a sense. So I love that sort of um, metaphor. Period. But when you read, like, even visit the, um, let me find the lyrics to it. This is why I don't like to deep dive before I know all the words. Because I'm like, wait, what? What? What song is that? What is that? Um, so the thing I like about Willow is even though it's not my favorite like song to listen to, I do like the lyrics in a sense that it's all about the way she responds to things done to her by this person she loves very much. Like when your ship rolled in, I'm like the water. I'm rough on the surface, but you cut through like a knife. Um, I'm lost in your current like a priceless wine. And it's like that too, because of like current is a very, it's a, like a tasting note of wine. Um, I thought it is kind of interesting that the first line about um, the ship that night, like it's not a continuation from Cardigan. And she said that in like the YouTube thing, but she starts, I'm like the water when your ship rolled in that night, rough on the surface, but you cut through like a knife. I'm like, oh, did he come get you from that really rough sea when you were like clinging onto a piano, like a regular Jack Dawson? I don't, I don't know. But also she sings about ships a lot. Uh, and it kind of comes back full circle because in, well, not full circle. I keep saying that. I don't really mean that, but she's in, it's gold rush. I think again, need to, need to spend more time with it. Uh, she says eyes like sinking ships on waters. So inviting. I almost jump in, but, and then gold rush to me is very much like an alternate version of, uh, gorgeous gold rush and gorgeous sound like the exact same. And in Gorgeous, she's like ocean blue eyes looking at mine. I feel like I might sink and drown and die. And then in Gold Rush, she's like eyes sinking like ships, like eyes like sinking ships on waters. And then um, she alludes to ships again in Willow. But then she also says, said in this love, losing grip and sinking ships. And she also says something about battleships. You guys get it. I don't, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a common metaphor, I guess. Um, but. Yeah, Willow, it's, it's you know, it's it's regular fairy core. She's a forest nymph. Uh, it is lovely. It is sweet. It is enchanting. I once, what her words about it were like, I, it's like, it's funny because sometimes her clarifications muddy the waters from, she, she said Willow is about intrigue, desire, and the complexity that goes into wanting somebody, which I'd argue is kind of a gold rushy vibe. But Willow, I thought was more of a relationship song, but it sounds like it's more of a longing song. The wreck my plans thing, too, even though I don't think this is necessarily connected. Obviously, one of my favorite lines she has about plans is from 
uh, I'm just like singing in my head. Cancel, cancel my plans just in case you'd call from August. Meet me behind the mall. When she references the mall again in Coney Island, you know I love the mall. Um, I also, these are again more of my chaotic notes. Uh, I'm just going to jump around because they're all about different songs. Uh, I said, do you think when she snuck out to the garden to see him in Love Story, she was sneaking to Olive Garden to go murder someone? Okay, I roll. <laughs> this is what happens at four in the morning. Um, <laughs> I should just give you guys these guys these notes. They're so bad. Um, when she talks about being better in the rear view, it reminded me of see me in hindsight tangled up with you all night. Is there a wildest dreams continuation? Probably not. Um, she describes champagne problems as a story of longtime college sweethearts who had very different plans for the same night, one to end it and one who bought brought a ring. She is definitely watching Gilmore Girls, Logan Forever, EVR. Uh, Logan Forevermore. <laughs> she really loves old-timey words, but that's kind of why it's funny when she says things like cascading like dominoes. I come back stronger than a 90s trend, which is the year after 1989. Um, and the I think she's alluding to her Big sleep over energy, singular, 31 braids, French braid on the back of her head. You know, big horse girl energy. Big Olin Mills picture day energy. Actually, no, double Dutch braids are what you did the night before picture day when you wanted to show up looking like, you know, a sea goddess with st stunning mermaid-like waves. You thought you were going to look impossibly uh, breezy and relaxed and that all your classmates would be like, oh, does she have naturally curly hair? But really, it's like the most chaotic kink crimped that falls out by lunch period. And you show up to the, you know, picture day and your family wouldn't spring for the laser background. So you've got the, you know, blue sky painted, cloudy gray, just like Coney Island. And uh, you thought you looked so smoking hot with your new Luke. You tried to get your family to spring for package A. You were like, I am going to get a mug, a mouse pad. I need... 12 wallets, six, eight by 10. It's like, what the, f How, on what plan? Like anybody who got package A through, yeah, D, I was like, your parents like love you. Like, that's crazy. Who wants a mouse pad of your face and from one year of your life in the fourth grade? I've, I, I've I think I talked about this in the Hanson episode, but like we were a package J family. We got two wallets. My, my mom had very little faith in my photogenic capabilities until I had seen your pictures, in which case the Olin Mills guide made me lustfully push, push myself up against a tree and like snarl over my shoulder. It was so aggressively sexual. And I was wearing a little boy's husky size polo from Steinmart, a huge metal ball necklace, orange capris, and like reef flip flops. And I literally thought I was fresh off the runway. It's like... My picture day outfits were so questionable. And if I, could, I wish I could find the picture from the year that I did double Dutch braids and went to sleep and tried to show up pretending like I just, you know, let my hair air dry. It's like you're in fourth grade. You don't use styling tools. We know your hair is stick straight and flimsy as ever. Just like the paperback books in your book bag that your mom made you rent from the library because the hardbacks at the Scholastic Book Fair were a little too pricey. I'm just kidding. Sorry, mom. <laughs> I, I laugh about these things because you don't understand money as a kid. And then you remember these things and you're like, yeah, these are things I would say, if not way harsher, if my kid was being a brat and demanded that my copy of, of like, I don't know, Sarah Plain and Tall was the hardback for $24.95. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, you guys, I love I've, Champagne Problems is like so good. It's so Rory and Logan. Um, I think the really notable thing here is uh, it's so focused on the the 
you know, man's pain, the person who's turned down their pain and suffering as a result of the person turning down the proposal. But we're not even taking into consideration for a second her own mental health and why she said no and understanding the human experience of sometimes you just don't know until somebody asks you and she's young and does she have to make a permanent decision? What's with all the pressure? Like, why is she so effed up uh, because she said no and wasn't sure if if anything, that's the braver thing to do, as we know from her bonus tracks and from the song Better Man. The bravest thing I ever did was run. I'm obsessed with like even the opening lines like. You booked the night train for a reason. So you could sit there in this hurt. All I ever like riding on trains or buses or public transit or in the back of an Uber, whatever the hell it is. Those are my main character moments. I do like to sit there in this hurt. And I do not know if busing crowds are silent sleepers or worse. Because when you're in such despair, silence is as chaotic as actual, you know, commotion. Um, I don't know. It's something like the... Uh, it's it's interesting that it's a college relationship. It's just it's so hyper specific to the dorm, the madhouse, how she would make light of her mental health by, you know, saying like it's where I belong. Deck the halls that we once walked through, like it's so like it's it's like the ghost in the memory of 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 a relationship. It's like so crazy how many um memories you can create and how a place can be so significant and it can be so decorated with all your like good times and joy together. And then once you leave, you're gone you leave no trace. You, people can deck the halls that you once walked through, like nothing ever happened. Everyone else's life will move on. You will lose all your friends. You will lose your friend group by exiting this relationship and doing the right thing for you. And ultimately him, uh, you're the one that will ultimately vanish from this and it'll be like you're never there and life will move on and traditions will still happen and Christmas decorations will still exist. And I don't know. And I also feel like the dropped your hand while dancing in every movie when they want a guy to look like a jerk who promised somebody they'd stay by their side, but is you know really concerned with himself and socializing. They always zoom in on the hands when they get to the party and the girl is nervous to go to the party. And very dramatically, the guy drops the girl's hand. <laughs> I just was watching Dash and Lily and this happened. Uh, I'm sorry. My audio is crazy. My mic's crazy. <laughs> I keep having to um, press start and stop. I'm sorry if it seems a little uh, crazy. Um, but what's interesting that I didn't really catch the first time I listened to it. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to do Champagne Problems and then I'm going to have to do the other song some other time because uh, I, again, am going to run out of space for this recording and I need to get it up for our advertisers. I apologize if you want to get into more of this part and I never even did because I just, I don't know, I knew I didn't have it uh, as organized as I'd like to because I, this is, a, okay, Champagne Problems is a great example of something I didn't really understand until more listens because when the f- first verse when she says, "I you booked the night train for a reason so you could sit there in this hurt, I'm like, who booked it? I was thinking like she was reflecting on the night on the night train and that this character kind of likes the drama or something and like, I don't know. I, I I wasn't really sure about that other than that she mentions a train taking you home in Willow. But then I realized that it's speaking to the guy whose proposal was turned down. And you almost knew I was going to turn down the proposal. You knew this wasn't right. You organized all this hype. You got your family involved. You told your family for a reason. Um, and then she can't give him a reason, uh, but she booked 
he booked the night train for a reason. There's three things of reasons. She's standing on the cliffside saying, give me a reason. Just kidding. Um, and I really think that the use of reason over and over is really interesting. Um, and like, yeah, he was so excited and he told his family for a reason, but also probably knew she was going to say no, making her look all the worse. I think sometimes that kind of dichotomy exists within us when there's a bit of an imbalanced relationship is even though we probably we set people up knowing they will disappoint us so we can almost feel self-satisfied in that prophecy of having such low expectations of people um it's a weird self it's weird self-sabotaging behavior but uh i think that i don't know let me just play this because like i was just so not interested in this song and then all of a sudden the way it builds is just like it's it's unbelievable you know how the cold of a you know November uh, would flush your cheeks, but flannel would be your cure. Just these flannel memories of college, plaid shirt days and nights when you made me your own. You know, okay. Let's find this bridge and just listen for a second. standing up on my arms it's so it's i've I've, (laughs) this is this is one of the top 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 all time for me bridge wise um because it's like starts out midas touch chevy door like cold november days they flush your cheeks you put on a flannel for a cure the storm was once a madhouse with our group of friends i use i use humor as a coping mechanism for our mental health our we're evergreen you think you're so invincible you think you'll be friends forever when you're young but that doesn't happen and then they'll deck the halls that you once walked through but you won't be there for the celebration then she uses an old uh saying one for the money two for the show and then usually it finishes with three to make ready and four to go. And this is so genius because she says she's never, she was never ready um, soon after, right? One for the money, two for the show. I never was ready, so I watch you go. Instead of one for the money, two for the show, uh, three to make ready and four to go. I mean, What? Sometimes you just don't know the answer until someone's on their knees and asks you. I think a lot of young relationships, too, like a lot of people stay in the wrong relationships for a long time and just almost think their future self can handle it or there'll be a reason or a catalyst to leave. But sometimes there isn't. And sometimes this is the moment. (laughs) And the other person probably knows it, but has almost convinced themselves that, you know, they have to be left there shivering with a shredded tapestry. Um, She would have made such a lovely bride. What a shame she's fucked in the head. I love how on songs like this, on, on Mad Woman, like exploring um, or, 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 or Last Great American Dynasty, uh, exploring the, you know, crazy women, uh, how 
we do normal things in response to things that happen to us and us having any response other than what people project and expect and demand from us is deemed as, as um, crazy or shameful. Uh, and she even gets ahead of herself making a joke about her mental health. Um, and then only for that to be turned back around on her uh, because, you know, it can't be that the relationship's the wrong thing for her. It can't be that they weren't right together. It, it can't possibly be that, uh, saying no to something you do not want to do is the right answer. No, she's fucked in the head. It's just, oh my gosh, I, I could, I could, uh, go on and on, but I want to like, what I like to do is know that it's, it's kind of like, um, when I talked about gold rush and gorgeous earlier, or like gold rush to me is a lot of callbacks, even like, you know, everybody wonders, um, everybody wants you, wonders what it would be like to love you and love her. It's like, I'm highly suspicious. Everybody here wants you. I think there's interesting small things like that, that I want to like connect a little bit more behind the scenes. Um, I think that, I don't know. I, I think she, uh, really d digs back into her past with uh, several songs at the end. And I need to think through that a little bit more, how they relate to past albums. I'm trying to figure out, cause she said some of the songs intersect and mirror one another, um, so I kind of just, yeah, I want to go through all of this stuff before we talk about it, uh, again, but I mean, there's just so many lyrics. I love some of my early favorites I wrote down, come back stronger than a 90s trend, <laughs> the entirety of champagne problems. Um, and in the disbelief, I can't face reinvention. I haven't met the new me yet. I made you my temple, my mural, my sky. Now I'm begging for footnotes in the story of your life. Happiness. I mean, I think I have no words. I mean, honestly, all of happiness. What, like, so what was the one that was, what no one tells you what to do when a good man hurts you? Are you kidding? Um, I loved uh, my pain fits in the palm of your freezing hand. I talked about on Patreon how I think this song has, like, you could definitely see this from more of a queer lens. Uh and since it's not autobiographical, people don't come at me because people hate when you suggest that. And it's just so bizarre. But I love I'm here for representation in songs. And I just think the way it's sung, it sounds like they're two they're w both women married with husbands. And they she kind of refers to two uh, them both being in two different relationships. And I think like women's hands are cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, but beyond that, I think that song is very much about like an extramarital, uh, a same sex extramarital affair. Um, but I'll get into that at a later date. And, uh, and the skeletons in both our clauses plotted hard to fuck this up. Are you kidding? Like, that's crazy. I, I'm not a fan of Cowboy and Me. I think it's a skip uh, for me right now, which I know sounds rude. But really, I think my that closure in Marjorie, I probably won't listen to that much. Marjorie, just because it's too sad, even though the lyrics are absolutely exquisite um and closure just a little funky for me um and i don't i don't know Cl closure is the type of song that would have been on like a reputation but kind of feels a little out of place here uh but that said i did fall on the floor when i heard the line my uh i'm fine here with my beers and my tears and my candles <laughs> <sighs> I do love candles. I love candle culture. Oh, did I say, yeah, cowboy like, am I missing something with cowboy like me? I, I'm not enchanted by the storyline. I guess I'm not typically, uh, the feeling is transcendental when my setting I'm provided as a saloon. I'm not, I'm not a big Western gal. Um, but I do like this line enclosure in the shape of your name still spells out pain. 
Um, and then, and Marjorie, never be so polite that you forget your power, never wield such power. You forget to be polite and never be so kind. You forget to be clever, never be so clever. You forget to be kind. I love that so much. I also think that there's simple lines I'll overlook, but then when I really think about them, I love them. Like the simplicity of, um, uh, sitting, we were sitting by, oh, I'm waiting by the phone. Like I'm sitting in an airport bar and that doesn't sound that interesting, but when you compare waiting by the phone to sitting in an airport bar, it's really fascinating because anytime you're sitting in an airport bar, you're in this type sort of anticipatory frustration because your flight's delayed probably, right? I don't go to airport bars because I got there too early and need to kill time. I mean, maybe you do, but I'm be there in five. Um, so if I'm in an airport bar, I'm waiting I'm anxious. I keep checking to see when my flight's going off. The more it gets delayed, the more frustrated I am, the more I'll drink. Uh, I do also have my deepest thoughts in airports on and on airplanes, so I kind of also don't hate it. But at the same time, you just want to get there. You just want it to happen. You just want to take off. You just want to – like that sort of anticipation being co compared to waiting for a phone call I think is really, really interesting. Um, and it's very like kind of meets the anxiety of cancel my plans just in case you'd call, uh, which I really – uh, relate to as a person who felt like they will never call because they never did. <laughs> if you listen to my dating history on Patreon. Oh yeah. And I got to put out my bonus episode about my wedding. That's the third installment from this month, but I want to record with my mom. Uh, I want to tell you not to get lost in these petty things. Your nemeses will defeat themselves before you get the chance to swing. Wow. 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 And guys, Evermore is really, really beautiful too and i think it's interesting because while i don't actually think it's meant to be um about like because it's gray november i've been down since july motion capture put me in a bad light um i replay my footsteps on each stepping stone trying to find the one where i went wrong writing letters addressed to the fire did i talk about earlier why i think that's interesting and maybe a nod to jane Eyre, but also i love the idea of writing letters addressed to the fire because it's very burn from hamilton but beyond that it's also if there are letters that kind of like in uh the archer i've got 100 thrown out speeches i almost said to you uh so it's like i'm writing stuff you'll never read um or I'm writing stuff that could like fuel the fire, that could stoke the flames, right? If you do read it, either way, it's going to be a fire. But I'm a fire and I'll keep your brittle heart warm. Um, I had a feeling so peculiar that this pain would be for evermore. But toward the end, what I didn't catch the first listen is that this pain, I had a feeling so peculiar this pain wouldn't be forevermore. Um, and she talks about creaking floorboards again, which I love because it reminds me of Cornelia Street RIP. Uh, <sighs> but anyways, my point was, I mean, if you really wanted to draw parallels, like she's writing this in November. She's been down since July. I've been down since July. I don't know about you guys. Even though like you could draw parallels to this for our own quarantine experience almost and like the hope that it'll all be normal again or you could draw romantic parallels and I don't really quite know where I stand but it's a beautiful song that makes me feel like weeping um and then she goes to hey December I guess I'm feeling unmourned unmoored can't remember what I used to uh fight for very exile I rewind the tape but all it does is pause on the very moment all was lost Whew. yep I replay scenes like that all the time. My, 
It's also, I mean, well, Bonnie Vare, Justin Vernon's on this song too. And it is like, I, I don't know if it's supposed to be comparable to exile, but there's a few elements of crossover. Like can't remember what I used to fight for. Um, like, well, so what am I defending now? Doesn't check about, so they, it basically talks about like fighting for her homeland in exile. And then she's sending signals to be double crossed. I gave so many signs. Um, and to be double crossed. Oh, that's interesting. Cause that's kind of like, that's a bad thing or they never get to you. I don't know. Um, and I was catching my breath barefoot in the wildest winter. Very, very evermore catching my death. And I couldn't be sure. I had just feeling so peculiar that this pain would be forevermore. Justin Vernon then says, can't not think of all the costs and all the things that will be lost. Oh, can we just get a pause to be certain we'll be tall again? That makes me want to cry. That to me is very, um, like how we are all feeling right now. Like, can we just have one brief, if not fleeting, if not false moment of hope that to be certain we'll be tall again? Whether weather be the frost or the violence of the dog days, I'm on waves out being tossed. Is there a line that I could just go cross? Like, what? Ugh. I feel blue. But then they go on to sing together. And when I was shipwrecked, I thought of you. Oh, we've start. Oh, wow. We started in with a ship. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Oops, I'm laughing because... See, I don't I don't click on the genius lyrics annotations because I'm worried I won't have original thoughts. But now I'm laughing because I just clicked on this being like, did anybody else notice that it started and ended with ships? And it says, this lyric seems to be a callback to July 2020. My tears ricochet. Oh, that's what I couldn't think of. The battleships will sink beneath the waves. Um, and it also calls back to the first line of Willow. I'm like the water when your ship rolled in that night, even though I don't necessarily know if these songs are connected. Um, I thought of you in the cracks of light. Oh, it makes me think of the refrigerator light. The most magical lyric ever. I dreamed of you. It was real enough to get me through. I swear you were there. And he kind of, call, there's, they're both singing back and forth and he kind of repeats his bridge. And I was catching my breath, floors of a cabin creaking under my step and I couldn't be so sure. I had a feeling so peculiar this pain wouldn't be forevermore. So it, I guess, ends on a hopeful note, even though the song doesn't sound that hopeful. Um, but I feel like it kind of, I don't know, captures the anxiety of being like, oh, my God. It's like moment to moment, you will believe this will never get better. But the next moment you might have a, you know, a, a gleam of a glimmer of light, a crack of a floorboard, a catching of your breath. Something might come over you. It's a peculiar feeling that it something won't be forevermore and things are going to get better. Um, I feel that way from hour to hour, day to day. Sometimes I'm like, vaccine nation, I'm a vaccinista. Like I want to be like a vaccine uh, influencer. Like, please, for the love of God, I can't get this thing faster. Let's move on. And I feel hopeful, but some days I'm like, Nothing will ever be the same. When I watch videos of like concerts or parties and people hugging, I'm like the whore. <laughs> I think we're, our wiring has changed from this experience and it has been long and it has been painful. Um, it is, it has felt like the, 
frosty weather, the violence of the dog days, dog days out here tossed on waves. And we just want to see that boundary. We want to see that line. Where does it end? Where can we cross it? And alas, we don't know where it is. But hopefully we'll keep following our invisible landlines and we will find ourselves where we're meant to end up, you know? Anyway, you guys, I got to go. Oh, man, I was really trying to make this an hour and a half. I just looked up. It's an hour and 50 minutes. Remember when I said I wasn't sure how I felt about this album? <laughs> I, I, I am, I am not, I am long story long over here. I really do love long story short. God, it's, 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 it slaps. It's catchy. Um, but I don't have time for that. <laughs> I'm, I keep saying, threatening I'm going to leave, but I'm like, did I say everything I wanted to say? Cause I want to be clear how much brilliance I think is here, how many important themes, how much I want to explore and how committed I am to embracing this era. Even if it's not at first glance my favorite, I think that in the long term, it'll be one of my more cherished, not just because of the special moments we all shared together of uh, listening to it for the first time and the surprise drops, but uh, for its healing properties and ability to get me to enter into other people's situations and practice empathy through songwriting, my ability to access some of my past hurt and pain. Um, my interest in exploring fiction in this way that I don't even do with books because I actually mostly read nonfiction. But if she ever gets around to writing a girl named girl, they renew the trademark every three to five years and then it never happens. But it's a novel she wrote when she was like 13 because of course she did. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I, but I mean, here, here, I'll, I read Lauren Graham's fi fiction book. I will read fiction books by written by people who I like because I'm just interested in their perspective. I would say the only exception to this is I I, I I came close, but I did not ultimately end up reading um, the critically acclaimed, notorious, uh, what's that award that they give to young adult novels? Oh, a Newbery Award. Is that right? I forget. I, I came close to uh, diving into Rebels, City of Indra, the story of Lex and Livia by one Kendall and Kylie Jenner. Uh, but then I realized, wow, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven words are in the title. There's one singular eye on the cover. They hardly promoted this. They most certainly did not write this. And why the fuck are they venturing into fiction novel writing in 2014? Like what? <laughs> Kendall and Kylie Jenner, like it's it's frustrating enough that, you know, you get your lips injected, you lie about it, you build a business off of it. You're called a self-made millionaire or billionaire rather, uh, despite having the world is the world's resources at your disposal and from selling young women your you know false image of beauty um i respect what she's done with the business and what she's built and all that and you've heard me talk about that before and and i i'm fine with the the, the jenners and you know i'm a kardashian fan but i would have been so frustrated if for some reason their dystopian young adult fiction soared and took off and they got movie options i, I wouldn't have been able to handle it so honestly <laughs> I was grateful that it was a bit of a flop. I kind of love the comedic bit of me starting a book club under like a serious uh, pretense, but then being like, <laughs> the book I have chosen <laughs> is Rebels, City of Indra. Next month we will be reading uh, Lisa Rinna's instructional handbook about how to excel at heavy petting. Uh, anyway, you guys, I guess I really am still dying. To, I'm like so confused why she chose evermore not forevermore even though they're interchangeable folklore forevermore i guess it, maybe she really did want eight letters but they're not the same number of syllables and jimmy Kim, didn't jimmy kimmel say evermore say two syllables but it's three 
Do we think that? Do we think he doesn't know what syllables are? Also, I was thinking about this earlier. This is so embarrassing. Uh, I used to. <laughs> I was going through my Pinterest board because I love to make fun of myself and all of the flat lays, colored denim, uh, scarves with the matching ballet flats and Kate Spade purses that I used to pin as my aspirational ideal scenario. Which it's like I don't know. Something's funny to me about pinning. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I'll pin a Chanel bag now. Like, I, you know, something aspirational. But, you know, I can get Kate Spade at Marshall's. I don't know why I wasn't just reaching for the Michael stars of it all. Like, yeah, wow, $30 T-shirt. Put this on my vision board. Need to manifest. Read the secret. It's like, I wish I had bigger dreams. <laughs> Not making fun of Kate Spade. They are pricey. But uh, there used to be this art print that I wanted so badly that bloggers had that said, for like ever. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so chic. It's like Art Deco-y vibes. And it's colloquial and it includes the interjection like, which I tend to say, but I'm taking back the narrative by putting it on my wall above my bar cart. But now I'm like, oh God, I literally have no idea why I brought that up. I literally have no idea. But now I can't take it out because I, I have to post this unedited. <laughs> um, anyways, you guys, this is so long. This is so bad. I am so sorry. It's one of those things where I wanted to give you something, but I knew I wasn't organized enough to do it well. And now I'm going to regret this. And you all got, I don't know, ever more than you bargained for <laughs> by me talking this much. Talk less. Evermore. That would be my advice. So just listen to the album. Don't listen to me. But if you like this, share it with a friend because for the love of God, I need to keep this job and I need to keep growing next year. And 2020 has been tough. People aren't commuting. So it makes a huge difference when you guys share the podcast, when you rate and review five stars. I get a lot of uh, hate mail from people that don't agree with my Taylor Swift theory. So your positive vibes are always welcome. Um, and, you know, I'll love you for like ever more uh, for sticking with me. Through it all. This year's not been easy on any of us, and it's certainly, I don't always feel like coming here every week and talking, and even though once I do, I can't stop, I I feel like you're there, and I feel like, uh, I hope you feel as though we just had a long fireside chat about an artist, an album we both love and want to analyze till the cows come home. Unless you're Taza, in which case your cow is home in your suburban backyard in a cul-de-sac. You clearly acquired for a tax break. Did you guys know? Okay, so did you, did you know, to know that when people get farm animals in like the suburbs? Well, a lot of people said this is common in Arizona. Is that where she lives now? Which is funny to me that people in neighborhoods called like, you know, I don't know, Windsor Place or Barnaby Square. You know what I mean? You know, I love rich people neighborhoods in their names. Oh, that's a fun topic. Um, just trying to make something that seem elegant, old timey. And, and it's almost like, uh, you know, something's called old with an E, O-L-D-E, Stony Brook Lane. You're like, oh, enchanting. It's like, it's like the old world, like a cobblestone alley. And it's like, ma'am, that was built in 94 by a man named Gary. Like, it's just not a pre-war brownstone. Like, I don't know what you're Anyway, you guys, um, I, I, when I'm anxious, I ramble like this because if I end this, that means I have to post this and then that means I have to hear your response to it. And I feel like I said nothing. Anyway, you are hearing all the stuff I usually cut out, but I love you so much. Um, what was I? Oh, no, I was saying you can get tax breaks if you get farm animals because then you can call yourself a farm. And I'm like, what? How is that? Oh, is that OK? Is that like ethical? And also, do people come kind of audit that? Like you cruise up to, you know, the fiercest cul-de-sac in Barnaby Square 
in, in, to see if it's actually a subsistence farm, like they claim on their taxes. And they're like, yeah, totally. Don't, don't you see all my crops? And it's like, man, that's a trampoline and a volleyball court. Like, what is a cow doing there? And also, why would you buy a, a, a male cow to keep at your house? Don't you want the milk? Are they going to ultimately see it perish? Dude, I, I don't know if as a kid if I'd want to eat my best friend. Because if I had a cow as a kid, I would have a best friend. Oh, does the phrase have a cow mean like, don't have a cow? Like, don't do something insane and, and rude and disproportionate like buy a farm animal to save a buck. I wonder if cows are considered cottage core or more like farm core, you know? Oh, I can't wait to do my Venn diagrams about the various cores <laughs> with dark academia, which core? Cottage gore. Uh, what was the other one? Fairy core? I don't know. I the, the mystical subcultures, truly. It's a fascinating world. And I hope that, you know, because your phone is listening to everything we do and they hear hearing me talk about this so much, I guarantee you your for you page will be forever changed. <laughs> okay, stay tuned for song analyses. That'll probably be on Patreon, since most of you are there anyway from the reaction video. Uh patreon.com slash be there in five. I actually do have an episode coming out next week. So I will talk to you before the holidays. Don't forget you can buy uh, merch. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's limited edition because we're rebranding re in 2021, not like at the beginning of, but eventually. For the outro, okay, I saw somebody do this on TikTok, but it was like a 10 second clip and I actually want to hear it. So even though I'm like pressed for time, I'm still an insane person. I'm probably going to try to mix this myself in GarageBand, but it, it's a mashup of champagne problems and getaway car. And it hinges on one particular word, which is go. And it's really exciting. And I want to see if I can make it for you because I can't find it anywhere. Um, I, I, I hope to stay in this place forevermore. I hope we're, I hope you to remain your best friend forevermore. Your your best friend forevermore, rather. Um, just, it's, it gets tougher every time I try to make it roll off the tongue, really. But one of my merch uh, options does say Beth friends forever. And it's very cute. Uh, anyway, you guys. All right. Love you so much. Talk to you soon. As always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Take the halls that we once walked through. One for the money, two for the show. I never was ready, so I watch you go, go, go. But with three of us, honey, it's a sideshow. And a circus ain't a love story. And now we're both sorry. We're both sorry. X marks the spot where we fell apart. He poisoned the well, every man for himself. I knew it from the first old fashioned, we were cursed.